All right, so welcome back to the Blood Money Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Peter McCullough, who is a practicing internist and cardiologist. Did I say that correctly? You did. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's it's really great to have you uh, on our show, Dr. McCullough. Much respect to you for the incredible work you've done, your honesty throughout these last couple of years. Uh, how's everything going with you? It's good. You know, I've been busy uh, now into the third year of pandemic response. So I've oriented all my research and scholarship towards the pandemic. I'm an academic internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. I'm trained in epidemiology. And um, I previously was, you know, had a notable career focusing on the interface between heart and kidney disease. I was the most published person in the world in history on that topic. And now I'm really emerging uh, and contributing to the research an understanding of SARS-CoV-2 infection, COVID-19, the clinical illness, uh, initially on early treatment and prevention of hospitalization and death. And now in the latter years of the pandemic, focusing on vaccine safety and efficacy. So what is it that, I mean, if you could sum up, and I know this would be, uh, you know, uh, quite a feat to sum up what's happened in the last couple of years. Uh, what's What have you learned in the last couple of years in terms of the integrity of our institutions and, you know, what we are told as uh, citizens of this country? A lot of this is, uh, I, I think, revealed in uh, our new book. I teamed up in the last year with with uh, best-selling author, true crime expert and investigator John Leake. And the title of our book is Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Facing the Biopharmaceutical Complex. You can go to the website, couragetofacecovid.com, and take a look at it. You know, what we've uh, basically described is a story about myself and how myself and others discovered and implemented and demonstrated we could treat the illness early and prevent hospitalization and death. That was huge. Uh, and we estimate that that has spared worldwide tens of millions of hospitalizations and saved millions of lives. Far and away, the biggest public health intervention was treating the infection early. But one of the things that we faced, and it became clear over the timeline of the book, is that there was an intentional suppression of early treatment by the same stakeholders who were promoting, and to this day are really wildly promoting, if not mandating, COVID-19 vaccination. The two are linked, suppression of treatment and then mass vaccination. The tools that are being used are propaganda, which is false information put out by those in position of authority, and then widespread corruption. And the corruption that we see uh, in society is all oriented towards one thing, making sure everybody takes one of these shots every six months. Wow. When we met, we are talking about corruption. And uh, somebody, I, I, I don't recall if it was you, but somebody in our little circle uh, made a statement that everything is corrupt. And I thought in that moment, wow, that's a hell of a, a podcast episode there. Uh, what is your feeling about corruption, uh, Dr. McCullough? Do you feel as though everything is corrupt or a lot of things are corrupt? Yeah, everything's been uh, been corrupt. And actually, it started in medicine first, and it started in the medical literature first. So this is very important. Once the pandemic started, there was an immediate filter that uh, basically landed on all the medical journals. 
And it, it became clear that any papers supporting mass vaccination were gonna immediately get published. They were gonna be put in the highest ranked journals and any papers that brought hope on treatment uh, were gonna be delayed. They were gonna be suppressed, retracted. And even the highest quality trials uh, face this uh, corruption in the literature. They, you know, these uh, therapy trials ought, ought to be, uh, you know, rapid review and accepted with revisions at major journals. I know I'm the former editor of two journals. So, for example, the largest, highest quality outpatient trial uh, was the cold corona trials, a trial of colchicine versus placebo, multi-center placebo-controlled, a 30-day course of treatment, which is the right thing because it's a long illness. Uh, over 4,000 patients. We haven't had a trial like that in outpatients for therapy. That paper sat at the New England Journal for two months, was delayed, not accepted. JAMA, the same thing. Lancet, the same thing. Finally, it gets accepted to a lower tier Lancet journal, but it's fully delayed by six to eight months. Uh, the news that we could actually use colchicine to help treat SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 infection. That's an example of corruption uh, and extreme bias that's being exerted. We saw corruption uh, in other areas. For instance, for the first time, we saw pharmacies basically not fill prescriptions for lawful uh, prescriptions that doctor pres prescribed to help patients with COVID-19. And this extended to hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, prednisone. We saw widespread corruption there. We saw corruption with the distribution of monoclonal antibodies which are pre-purchased by the government. They're fully emergency use authorized, approved. And, and still to this day, states are having problems with supply chains and there seems to be politicization of, you know, this is life-saving therapy. Uh, and the corruption is all on the side of, of therapy. There's, there's absolutely no supply chain problem, no publication problems, no problems whatsoever with getting a vaccine and getting a needle in every arm. But boy, to try to get some treatment and get through the illness, uh, it's terrible. And it's sad because so many people took the vaccines. 82% of Americans took the vaccines. They're still getting COVID because the vaccines don't work. And they still need treatment and they're struggling to get treatment. So even those who are fully compliant with the vaccine program are getting burned with widespread corruption oriented towards blocking treatment to patients. And, and people are uh, literally dying as a result of not being able to get this life-saving treatment. It's true. I've estimated now, I've gone back at my historic testimonies in the U.S. Senate twice and the Texas Senate. And, and looking backwards, I think we could have saved two-thirds of the lives that are lost. Going forward, high-quality treatment has a 95% reduction in hospitalization and death, partly because the virus is milder, it's easier to treat. And also, too, the tools are better. You know, we have monoclonal antibodies have improved. We have Paxlovid, Molnupiravir. We have more sophisticated strategies. So there really shouldn't be anybody who's denied treatment, particularly high-risk patients, as those who are fully vaccinated are becoming ill with the Omicron variant. You know, in, in our state over here in Nevada, uh, there was this drug that was being pushed by the local authorities and the governor called, uh, I believe it was Rendesimir. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Remdesivir. Rendesimir. And I mean, I heard that it actually causes a lot of harm, this drug, while uh, hydrochloroquine and 
some of these other alternate treatments were basically sidelined uh, until a lawsuit was filed in order to allow for these alternate treatments. So what do you think was going on there? It's true. Well, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine and then, you know, ivermectin and the other drugs that are mentioned in the McCullough protocol, they are community standard of care. They always have been. So they're not alternative. They're community standard of care. I just testified in the Texas Senate on January 27, 2022. And I reminded the Senate Committee for Health and Human Services that standard of care can just be one doctor in a community who's trying to face and treat a condition. He, can, he or she can establish the community standard of care. So hydroxy has always been community standard of care, then ivermectin, now we're into Paxlovid, molnupiravir. Those are the standards of care. Now in the hospital, hydroxychloroquine was a standard of care and still is, still should be today. The largest hospital study with hydroxychloroquine was over 3,000 patients from Henry Ford in Detroit. Strongly positive study, far more positive than we've ever seen with other in-hospital products. Uh, but importantly, with remdesivir, which is a repurposed polymerase inhibitor, in the largest study, randomized trial done by the WHO, and then a synthesis of those trials by the WHO and the European Society for Critical Care, in November of 2020, they declared that remdesivir should not be used in hospitals, period, should not be used. But yet in the United States, we had already baked in a 20% bonus payment to hospitals if they would use remdesivir. A, a, a really a clear-cut example of corruption, in fact, perverse incentives to move remdesivir off the shelf since the United States had already committed to pre-purchasing these. So sadly, Americans have received remdesivir and had worsened outcomes. Countless numbers of people have lost their lives because they've been given remdesivir, which the WHO says, do not give it. And, and, and I mean, how come governors and other politicians are pushing this when it's actually destructive? I think that the, the government agencies and these individuals, they're willfully blind. They're willfully blind. Uh, the most egregious example of willful blindness is through court-ordered documents, the Pfizer vaccine was uh, associated with 1,223 deaths occurring shortly after taking the shot uh, within 90 days of release of Pfizer on the market. This uh, was revealed in court-ordered documents. In the process of getting those documents reviewed in a lawsuit, the attorney for the FDA did not want Americans to learn that information for 55 years. So the FDA, which is supposed to be safeguarding our safety with drug products, in fact, is trying to cover up a safety problem. So we have widespread corruption and now an FDA cover-up on uh, this, the safety of the vaccines. The vaccines have excess mortality. It means people are taking them and losing their lives. The World Council for Health, June 11, 2022, uh, has now given a worldwide advisory. Pull the vaccines off the market. They're not safe. And again, governments are willfully blind to that large international body which represents over 70 non-governmental organizations worldwide. Uh, governments have been willfully blind to this as these pre-purchased products by the government continue to flow. So, so they're essentially trying to like offload their products that they purchase, regardless of how much damage it does to, to the public. And at the same time, uh, seeming like they're trying to censor information that tells them about the damage done to the public. That's exactly right. They've pre-purchased these products in a giant uh, public health blunder. 
And so now in a form of cover cover up, they're still trying to mandate or push these products, particularly through perverse incentives like remdesivir, through uh, massive um, propaganda campaigns like the vaccines. You know, the vaccines are still uh, propagandized on the phone trees of pharmacies. When you're trying to call a prescription and you hear about COVID-19 vaccines, they're still pushing vaccine propaganda through Sesame Street and all these perverse types of avenues. You know, they're violating the uh, U.S. Drug and Cosmetic Act, the Truth and Advertising Act, and the Landman Act by not presenting fairly the risks and benefits of the vaccines. The risks include death uh, and then permanent uh, injuries and disabilities, blood clots, heart damage. All of this is in the FDA regulatory documents. This is not being fairly presented to Americans and now mothers of children. It's uh, you've paid a heavy price for your honesty. Uh, there's uh, I've noticed and tell me if I'm incorrect or, or not here uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of doctors haven't spoken out about these issues. And it seems like very few like yourself have. Uh, could you tell us, uh, firstly, why other doctors have been silent uh, on this on these topics? You know, I'm constantly asked about the motivation of others, and I, I just can't answer for them. You have to ask them. You'd have to ask a doctor who truly is supporting the vaccines, how do they reconcile large numbers of Americans dying within a few days of the vaccine? I testified under oath on Monday, uh, June 27th, that the U.S. CDC has certified 13,388 Americans have died through June 17th, 2022. How does a doctor actually reconcile that in their minds? Uh, we know more than 50 deaths with any product. It's it's almost a certainty there's a voluntary recall, to take them off the market. If there was a drug that I could prescribe that I knew thousands of people were dying a few days after taking it, there's no way I would prescribe that drug. No way on earth I'd prescribe that drug, even if the FDA didn't do anything. So you have to ask the motivation of doctors, what what is in their minds as they promote the vaccines. You know, I can tell you these doctors, uh, uh, they won't engage uh, certainly with me as a, as a key opinion leader. I don't even get a, a tough email from them. Uh, on multiple occasions, uh, they've had a chance to face me and doctors in my circle in roundtable discussions and they won't show up. Uh, you know, at the historic January 24th, 2022 US Senate uh, panel, titled COVID-19, A Second Opinion, we invited all the heads of the major public health agencies, media, other prominent personnel. No one would face us to go over a careful review of pandemic response, treatment, vaccine, safety, and efficacy. No one would face us. And even in the Pennsylvania Senate record now is the offer by millionaire Steve Kirsch. He's offered any doctor in the media, the, the agencies or medical schools who wants to come forward and defend the vaccines as being safe and effective, he'll offer them a million dollars, no takers. Then he offered two million, five million, ten million. No one will come forward and defend these vaccines in public. I mean, that should tell you something. So they won't defend the vaccines in public, but at the same time, they seem to be scared of talking the truth and transparency. They're either scared or they're in some type of trance. You know, Matthias Desmet from the University of Ghent in Belgium psychology professor, he believes that doctors are in what's called mass formation or mass formation psychosis, that it's driven by fear, by you know, prolonged isolation, things taken away from them, from uh, uh, you know, uh, that they enjoy to do, constant free-floating anxiety. 
And then this offering of a solution, the single solution of the vaccine, which is the genetic code for the lethal spike protein that was devised and manipulated in a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China. I don't think most doctors can reconcile what they've accepted into their bodies. I mean, remember, most doctors have taken the vaccine. I, I mean, when they think about that, that they've taken the genetic code for a lethal Chinese protein. I can tell you, the smartest decision I ever made was not taking one of these vaccines. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, go back in time at all. I mean, while the rest of the doctors were lining up for these, I said, forget it. I've already had COVID. This sounds like a very dangerous, bad idea to take the genetic code, you know, out of a lab in China and put it in my body. You've paid, uh, you know, when we're when we're uh, talking uh, at one of these conferences, uh, it became abundantly clear to me that you've paid a heavy price for your honesty. I, I know there's been some, I guess, uh, degrees or committees that you are no longer a part of. Could you tell us a little bit about the price you've paid for your honesty? I started to see widespread corruption in the medical literature and and papers that you know were being denied, rejected, delayed. Uh, Jessica Rose and I had a completely uh, fully accepted paper and published paper, contracted and published, retracted without due process. You know, a, a publisher can only retract a paper once it's published if it's scientifically invalid or if the contract's violated. It wasn't the case at all. They just retracted it for 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 no reason. Um, uh, we saw that, you know, gross violation of contract, tortuous interference of the practice of um, of medical publication. Uh, I have had through certified letter, but no no courtesy phone call, no due process, no emails. By certified letter, I've been stripped of two editorships without even a thing. We're talking about decades of work being a, a you know volunteer editor of a major journal. I've been stripped of all my National Institutes of Health committee, committee positions, pharmaceutical trial committee positions. I've been stripped of two professorships uh, at institutions. It takes a long time to be a professor of medicine. And I can tell you with no due process, no faculty senate, normally if there was some action that was so egregious that there would be uh, you know, a faculty senate hearing and one would actually defend it. I've, uh, I've lost my job with no due process at all. I literally just walked into a room, asked to turn in my badge. This is before the, the safety problem came out with the vaccines, before I even said a word about the vaccine. It happened because I innovated and treated patients and testified in the U.S. Senate. I lost my job. I actually had professional reprisal for testimony under oath and didn't stop there. A few months later, the same health system now is suing me for a large sum of money in a meritless lawsuit. It's actually a strategic lawsuit against my public participation in a topic of interest. I have a right as a citizen and as a doctor to express my views, particularly when invited. You know, when invited for senatorial or congressional testimony, I have the right to give that testimony. And uh, it's under oath. I have the right to give media commentary, to publish. First year of the pandemic, by invitation, I I was a regular contributor to The Hill, a Washington Insider Journal. Second year the, and third year of the pandemic, I have my own podcast, The McCullough Report on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Now, I have the right to do that. I'm a, now an author of a best-selling book, Courage to Face COVID-19. I have the right to do these things under the First Amendment of the Constitution, yet stakeholders that are now widely corrupt 
are working to basically take away my constitutional rights. Wow, wow. I mean, what does that tell you about the future of this country? Does it concern you about uh, in terms of the future of this country? I mean, what, what do you see ahead of us? It's greatly concerning. It looks like the entire future of the country now is revolving around a genetic vaccine given every six months without end. The entire country's future is dependent on this. This has now been extended down with no support of scientific compelling information whatsoever. This is now extended down to six-month-olds. That, that should tell Americans something is out of kilter. Why would a six-month-old need a genetic injection for the foreign genetic code out of a lab in Wuhan, China into an American baby? Why would that be happening? What, uh, let me ask you, why do you think it is happening? I honestly don't know. All I can tell you is very, very bad news. Uh, the rates of death are extraordinary. The rates of new diseases. Pfizer described 1,291 diseases due to these genetic injections. Uh, the clinical practice of medicine has changed. There are just legions of patients with blood clots, heart damage, skin rashes, neurologic damage, disabled individuals. Uh, there's even a new syndrome called sudden adult death syndrome where patients just take the vaccine and they die. And now prominent public figures just take the vaccine and die. Uh, you know, life insurance companies have skyrocketing uh, claims being submitted. We've never had so many working adults just dropping dead over the course of a year. Lincoln National uh, last week reported a 63% year-on-year increase. We never see I can tell you something is very wrong and it's related to taking genetic vaccines, the genetic code that codes for the, the fatal spike protein on the surface of the virus that was manipulated in a Chinese biosecurity lab. It's, it's, it seems to be directly related to these injections every six months. I mean, you have individuals, you know, coming out with these conspiracy theories of, you know, you have this upper echelon that's trying to literally, you know, kill people, population control. Uh, I mean, is there any credibility to those kind of uh, conspiracy theories at all? Or is this just a comedy of errors, you think? You know, in our book, uh, John Leake, who's the primary author, he does remark about the importance of paying attention to public utterances. So uh, when prominent um, billionaire Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation, when he announces in 2010 that this is gonna be the decade of the vaccine, and he's on the front cover of a UK newspaper saying Gates uh, you know, intends to reduce the world's population through mass vaccination, we should pay attention to that. He, he said these things, that's his, words not mine, when, uh, when the Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum largely uh, started CEPI, the Center for Epidemic Preparedness uh, Evaluation Innovation, uh, when they formed this multi-billion dollar unit, uh, which and published a business plan in 2017, we should pay attention to the business plan. The business plan says there will be pandemics coming. And there will be a response out of CEPI, which will coordinate with a variety of stakeholders. And the answer will be mass vaccination for the world. When this is published in 2017, people should pay attention to that. When Johns Hopkins held a planning seminar called the SPARS pandemic in 2017, uh, they published an 80 page uh, plus 
uh, monograph and then two peer-reviewed publications out of that meeting. And they posted all the attendees and they said there will be a coronavirus pandemic and it will be related to MERS and SARS and that there will be confusion over therapy and, we, and that the plan, the tabletop exercise is to harness social media and major media and the governments to railroad mass vaccination on the public. That's in 2017. And then when that's followed up with event 201, which is another tabletop exercise videotaped, you can go pull a video on this, where they say there's gonna be a pandemic and we are gonna railroad the population into mass vaccination uh, through all these various means of propaganda. It's all in the open. And then after four months after the, the, uh, the virus gets out of the lab in Wuhan, China, when Klaus Schwab, who is the head of the World Economic Forum, when he publishes a book called The Great Reset, and he says, we're going to use COVID-19 pandemic as a, a opportunity to reset the, a new world order, I think everybody should take these public utterances very seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, so uh, again, Anthony Fauci in 2017 also said that during uh, I think he had referenced the Trump administration at that time. He said definitely during the Trump administration, there's going to be a pandemic as a doctor with the level of experience that you have. Uh, how easy is it to make those kind of predictions and to play, you know, Nostradamus in that way? Or is that a statement that should cause us a lot of concern because there is no way to tell when a pandemic's going to occur? Yeah, but there were so many stakeholders, people who had vested interest in vaccines saying that uh, from Gates Foundation, Gavi Seppi, EcoHealth Alliance, National Institutes of Health, uh, WHO, the uh, Virology Lab in Wuhan, they, they were all basically you know, doing research and, and, and all these different uh, examples telling us that this is gonna happen. You know, people, we should have taken it seriously or do take it seriously. In Peter Bregan's book, COVID-19 uh, and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, he has every single one of these world events, you know, chronicled. He's got all the citations, over a thousand citations. We have hundreds in our book as well. Everything's in the open. This isn't a theory. This is actually an open conspiracy or a collaboration to mass vaccinate the world. And it was very, very well planned and orchestrated. Wow. Now, there's a there's a topic that I've been very, um, uh, I guess, uh, familiar with because of my work. I used to do uh, interventions. I actually created an intervention series uh, for the uh, network a &E that I was an executive producer of. And what I learned during that series is uh, how the opiate epidemic came about. Uh, it seems as though the pharmaceutical companies with doctors uh, pushed a lot of these opiates onto the population that were, you know, some tend to say they were overprescribed, but they essentially, you know, 20 years later uh, leads to about anywhere between 70,000 to 100,000 overdose deaths. deaths. Uh, is there parallels between what happened with the opiate epidemic and how doctors pretty much based upon the recommendations of farm school co pharmaceutical companies walked into the opiate epidemic? Do you see any parallels between that and what is happening right now? Yeah, it's very uh, perceptive, uh, that question. It's in our book that, in fact, you know, in 2021, uh, there was a book published right during the pandemic. It's called The House of Pain. It's about the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma and how 
all the pharmaceutical marketing techniques were, were deployed over years to, in effect, railroad the opioids on doctors, nurses, and patients. And it's interesting, you know, nurses played a huge role in this. Somehow they were marketed by the opioid industry to actually start having pain as a vital sign. Nurses start having all these initiatives and they kept prompting doctors to prescribe opioids for, for these conditions where it didn't seem like there were much pain involved. And I remember this as a doctor saying, wow, where did this come from? But it was all through this very uh, innovative uh, uh, propagandized marketing campaign to push opioids, very addictive opioids on the public and Purdue Pharma made a killing, not unlike the vaccine companies are making right now. It's the same techniques, it's the same story. Again, uh, doctors and, and, and particularly nurses and others, uh, they're marketed and manipulated by big pharma. And and you have uh I mean you have other stories like the I think it was called thalidomide. Um, you know it seems as though this concept of pharmaceuticals coming around around every generation causing mass mass de deaths, carnage, def deformations of in childbirth. I mean it seems to be a reoccurring theme over the last fifty years or so. It's true. It's a recurring theme, and and one of the most difficult things with a lot of these drugs is if you stop them in time, you know, you can avoid harm. That occurred with some drugs like uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and novel anticoagulant. I've been involved in some of these drug recalls from a, a physician investigator and a day safety monitoring board perspective. So I know about them. The problem with vaccines is once they're given, you can't take them out of the body. And so it's just, it's, it's a, it is really terrifying now People have taken these vaccines and they never asked what's in them. And and do you, uh, so nobody seems to pay a price for this sort of thing. I mean, I know thalidomide, there was a big settlement, but nobody went to jail over that. Uh, nobody seems to have gone to jail over the opiate epidemic. I know the Sackler family had to, you know, pay a whole bunch of money. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, we have, uh, in, by my count, I mean, over a couple of million dead because of opiate overdoses over the last couple of decades. I mean, that's a huge body count. If you look at the damage that, you know, the COVID vaccine, the opiate epidemic, thalidomide have caused uh, in the last, uh, you know, 40, 50 years. You know, if you look on the Brownstone Institute today, Clayton Fox has got a really good um, uh, editorial there about corruption in big pharma. And he says the reason why there's no justice is so many of those who work in the regulatory agencies like the FDA or the NIH or CDC they actually jump ship and they join the profitable pharma or venture capital side of the complex. And so a great example is uh, former FDA chairman, Scott Gottlieb, he's on the board of Pfizer. He goes on CNBC and he advises people to take the Pfizer vaccine, which obviously has a conflict of interest. The FDA chairman after him, Stephen Hahn, he joined the venture capital firm of Moderna. So Han was working to obstruct hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. He joins the company that's profiting from Moderna. And then Rick Bright, who's clearly trying to block hydroxychloroquine to Americans, he joins the Rockefeller Institute, which has a vested interest in mass vaccination. So I tell you, the corruption is not just payments. It's actually people's careers. They know that they're going to be guaranteed uh, very highly paid jobs if they actually work in this corrupt biopharmaceutical complex. 
what how do we fix this issue because one thing i i also want to point out to the viewer there's a project veritas episode where uh one of the higher ups at f in the fda actually talks about how hey you know we know uh this stuff is not that great for kids but uh pfizer is giving us a billion dollars basically bribe money and hence you know we got to push this stuff onto children what do you think and you know that that is obviously indicative of an fda that's not necessarily regulating what they're really doing is just going along with whatever research that the pharma school companies do what how, how do we fix this broken system at this point in time, the wheels are off and the train is off the tracks. The system is completely broken. There will be no justice. The only court that's open is the court of public opinion. And what will bring this freight train to a stop is people simply rejecting these products. This is very uh, important. So um, there was a New York Times piece about a month ago that said 35% of Americans have either not taken a vaccine or they're not taking a booster. CDC says 82% have taken at least one shot. So it means there's 18% who are clean right now, and there's another 17% who just are not going to take any more. That 35% is going to grow. But I can tell you, 35% of people who are dug in, the program is dead in the water. The mass vaccination program is dead in the water. Uh, you know, we we can't have 35% of Americans, you know, out of the workforce or 35% of Americans not not able, you know, not being consumers. It's dead mm -hmm. in the water. So the mass vaccination program and the mandates, in my view, it should be dropped immediately. It's it's a non-starter at this point. Amazing. Dr. McCullough, I, I can't say how deeply I respect you. Thank you so much for all this hard work that you've done, your honesty. I know you're paying a price and uh, for being truthful. We've seen it. We've seen the attacks, uh, but you're doing incredible work. And I, I really sincerely would like to thank you for being the person that you are and standing up for the truth. Thank you. Make sure you go visit me. I have a link tree, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. It takes you to all my social media sites and then courage to face covid19.com check out the book it's a bestseller on amazon in viral diseases communicable diseases and true crime amazing amazing is there anything you'd like to say in closing that we haven't touched upon i tell everybody to take a careful look at their own health right now i know many people listening to this uh, never asked any questions regarding this vaccines or they may have been forced into it uh, but the best way of ending this crisis is to bring the doctors out on this. So everybody needs to visit their doctor and ask the doctor if their doctor's advising the vaccines. And if they are, the response should be, doctor, I've looked at this and they're not safe enough for me. Mm -hmm. And when doctors hear that, it's a personalized statement, they're not safe enough for me, that's going to plant the seed. Patient after patient thinks they're not safe enough for them. And that will change the tide. Uh, you can't get into a debate with your doctor, and it's not generalizing for the whole population. It's just safe enough. I can tell you personally, they're not safe enough for me, period. I'm not taking yeah. one of these vaccines. They're not safe enough for me. And even if I took a few, now that I've learned what I've learned, the boosters are not safe enough for me. And, and I think it's important for people to just hold the line on that, and we'll get through this together. In the spirit of fixing this, finally, so no other generations have to go through this sort of corruption, like what's happened with the opiate epidemic, what's happened with COVID-19, how do we fix this? So we're not sold, you know, opiates by the next 
you know, Sackler pharmaceutical family. Uh, yeah. How do we fix this issue? Uh, you know, our FDA needs uh, a completely different oversight mechanism. Congressional oversight is not working. Uh, our, our NIH and CDC need oversight uh, mechanisms. We need independent expert panelists like myself to basically determine uh, what they're doing and hold them accountable. And, uh, and we need, uh, there's no doubt about it, we need a complete overhaul of the conflict of interest between the regulatory agencies and pharma. Everyone's worried about the practicing doctor. I tell you right now, that's not where the action is. The action is with the FDA staffer who's granting favors to industry because they know in a year or two, they're gonna jump over to a job. And you can just take a look at Scott Gottlieb, uh, Stephen Hahn, Rick Bright as the most recent examples. I mean, it's been horrible what they've done to America. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, just on the topic, uh, just closing regarding this topic of everything is corrupt. Uh, it seems to be one of the big issues, whether it's the judicial circles, whether it's the politicians, whether it's the medical industrial complex, seems to be that this idea of self-policing this ridiculous notion of self-policing simply does not work, that you need outside third parties that don't have a vested interest on allowing the corruption to continue. Would you uh, agree yeah. or disagree with that? Yeah. I agree with that. I Believe it or not, the courts need self-policing. You know, right now the courts are corrupt. They've suspended jury trials. Mm -hmm. uh, the courts themselves haven't uh, had any fair balance on the vaccines. We can't get cases to be heard. We're standing. Um, I'm involved in multiple legal activities right now. I can't even get motions to be heard. I mean, things are just corrupt. I can't even get a yes or no on a motion. Um, yep. I can tell you things are completely corrupt at this point in time, and they are corrupt in one direction, and that is a needle in every arm with mm -hmm. no exceptions. No matter how many die with the injections, a needle in every arm. And we've got to get to the bottom of this. They, these are genetic shots. They uh, install the genetic code in the human body. They don't leave the body as far as we can tell. A paper by Roken and colleagues from Stanford show that the, even the messenger RNA is in the body for two months. Who knows how long? Spike protein produced from it over a year. Bruce Patterson showed that from Incel DX. Who knows how long? Uh, everything we're learning about these vaccines is bad. 100, there's a thousand papers showing how they injure the body now. It couldn't get worse for the vaccines. And I, I really have a lot of compassion for people who took them. Uh, and they, well, most of them took it just out of naivete. Some were forced into it, yeah. Dr. McCullough, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, in uh, with our uh, podcasts, we really like to explore topics of corruption. And you're right, everything is corrupt. You, you, I've heard so many stories about literal cases that the judiciary is ignoring, not even... Uh, you know, ruling against, they're literally ignoring because they know that should they rule upon that case, it's going to cause the judiciary a lot of problems and set a precedent. Uh, well, sure. You know, another example of this um, is that treasuries are being drained with no accountability. You know, recently, just off a planned monkeypox scare, uh, 13 million doses of the Genios vaccine you know, just out of treasuries, the money just poured. President Biden said he needs more money for another pandemic. I mean, just again, just the, the just the, the the drawer to the to the cash register is open. We're printing money. Do you know with pandemic response, 
the U.S. government just printed 10% of GDP and just injected it and it got swallowed up by the biopharmaceutical complex, in vitro diagnostics, failed therapeutics, and vaccines. And particularly wow. vaccines were all pre-purchased. Can you imagine? No wonder they haven't changed the vaccines. They haven't improved. They promised new vaccines for Omicron in March. Never happened. They're still giving the same vaccines. Uh, the FDA promised FDA approval with biological license agreements. Never happened. Still never got through the FDA approval process. Consent forms never changed. The uh, package inserts never changed. It, the whole system now is corrupt. Wow, wow. And when you're saying emptying our treasury, you're talking about the U.S. government buying excess amounts of these vaccines uh, and spending, you know, millions upon millions of dollars for it? That's right. They just increased the debt of the country massively, 10% of the GDP overnight. They just printed that money. And uh, no wonder we have got skyrocketing inflation now. I mean, it wow. couldn't be a worse scenario to, uh, to absolutely squander money like this. Um, you know, we could have had a much more modest vaccine program, maybe try it in nursing home patients, very limited, see if it works, see if it's safe, you know, limited purchase types of things. Uh, but no, we went in all out with this idea that every American was going to take one of these every six months forever. And, you know, all the other countries did it, too. Some countries are planning seven years of vaccination. Can you imagine a vaccine wow. vaccine schedule that goes for seven years? That's seven years of genetic therapy being administered. That's what that is. It's not a vaccine at all. Wow. 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 Uh, Dr. McCullough, is there anything else that uh, we haven't touched upon? No, I think we covered it all. Make sure you go, and go to my link tree, Peter McCullough, MD. It'll get you out to Twitter, get her all the other uh, websites. And then courage to face covid.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. McCullough. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, coming on to our uh, podcast, Blood Money. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best in all your future endeavors. Okay. Thank you.